You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Hi everyone, Annie here for Showreel. Today we join the hurrah around the Olympics in Japan with a mockumentary series screening on the ABC called The Power of the Dream. The brainchild of Alexandra Kitty and Bobby Jean Henning, the series follows cousin best friends Amy and Brooke Bland as they trial various Olympic sports to see which one will take them all the way to the podium. I spoke to the creators for some insights into making the web series and some of the joy of playing with the idea of the desire to achieve in the sporting field when you really have little talent. So tell me about uh, what ha- your film experience and why you got into making a web series. Well, I mean, I'd made one before. I made a show called The Housemate, which came out on ABC in late 2018. Um, which kind of came from it being, it's like an, a really accessible way for emerging creatives to make content. Um, longer form is, you know, really, it's a really competitive and tricky space to enter um, when you haven't really got anything to show for yourself. The online space is a, just a really great way to, to enter um, and had already done one before. So when Bobby and I kind of worked on this idea, it just seemed like, it, yeah, it made a lot of sense to, to make it as a web series because we knew we could do it, you know. And it suited the idea as well. So, why did you uh, decide to do such a, a spoof? Is it a spoof, or what was your what were your feelings about what you were doing? Well, so it's a mockumentary. Um, I don't know if it's a spoof, but um, what are our feelings about it? More of a poking fun at ourselves, but celebrating at the same time, and and celebrating the idea of of just having fun and just going for for things, even if you're not good at them. Um, so I think it's a, with a lot more than a spoof. It's more of a with tongue in cheek and with love towards the, these ideas. Yeah, because in in a funny kind of way, it could be called a satire too, in the sense that uh, there's an awful lot of people who are very uh, involved in um, the whole concept of the Olympics, but have uh, I mean, it's a self identifying uh, affair, isn't it? It definitely can be, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me, have you got any sporting background or is it is it uh, just... Uh, I mean, if, it... if you watch the series, it's pretty easy to tell. <laughs> but we don't. Um, which is where a lot of the um, original idea came from. I mean, I know with, with me, my a lot of my family are, are very um, accomplished athletes. Um, my dad was an AFL player. My auntie played for three Australian sporting teams. My mum was a really wonderful dancer. And a lot of my family are just very sport oriented. And um, I am absolutely useless. Cannot 
can barely walk in a straight line. Um, <laughs> like I worked up last year during lockdown to run 300 meters. I was like, yep, great. I'm going to run around the lake once. Like absolutely no talent for it at all. Yeah. And similarly, in fact, with no family sporting ability, we're like fishermen and painters, that sort of, that's, and I, terrible, terrible. Like dancing, always dancing, creative, but no sporting ability. Mm-hmm. I go to the gym now, so that's good. Bit of yoga. Um, but with no. no hand, I can't even catch a ball. Even in drama games, I could never catch the ball properly. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're very slow paced with our physical activity. So, so you sympathise with the bland cousins? Oh, absolutely. Well, they're absolutely an extension of us. Um, <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Mm. So tell us about how you got the funding and the process of doing a web series because it must, did it take a long time to develop the scripts and yeah. the characters? Well, this took a slight, slightly longer than it um, maybe would have otherwise without a global pandemic. Um, but we, yeah, so um, Screen Australia have an online department and online funding platforms, which it's kind of the only one in the country, really. There's really only one fund where you can, um, and one place that you can have just independent funding, no broadcaster, but enough money to actually make the whole show and pay everyone properly. Like it's, you know, it's fully funded. And it's just, it's a pretty extensive application process. Um, where you have to send in half your scripts, you have to send in a budget and a schedule and answer a lot of questions, answer a lot of questions about, you know, your marketing plan and your pathway to audience and who who you're speaking to and why they're going to want to engage with your program, with your project. Um, and then a little submit a video as well. Um, and you have to have your team all together as well. So you have to be pretty ready to go by the, the time that you're submitting. But we we were granted funding in February of last year and we had written all of the scripts at that point. But then when we got locked down, Screen Australia kind of came back to us and said, well, look, you're locked down anyway. Why don't you workshop the scripts more? You know, take this time to develop them and make them better. So we went through a development process after we'd written them, weirdly. <laughs> um, and because a lot of things had to change because the because of where the world was at um, and how the Olympics had shifted and all of those kinds of things. So we spent another maybe two or three months workshopping everything. Um, and then we headed back into kind of, I mean, you're in pre-production the whole time, essentially, but like pre-pre-production started in January of this year and then official pre-production started in March. Um, but kind of from January when our, our producer came on board, uh, Elise, uh, Elise McCann, it was kind of when we really kind of put the foot on the pedal and, and got going. And had to believe that it was actually happening this time. <laughs> yeah, because it had, we'd put the foot on the pedal a few times already. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I go back to the uh, scenarios and it is uh, uh, humorous, but in a funny kind of way, it's also a picture of delusional people. Um, Were you uh, trying to say something about that? Uh, I don't know about, not in a negative way, Um, because there was definitely an option where they didn't, where they learnt Mm. every episode that they were no good. And we, we wrote that version and it was just really sad and we were kind of like, well, they're not hurting anybody. They're so happy. Why would we burst that bubble for them? You know, and if, if anything, you maybe start watching the series going, who are these delusional weirdos who have no friends? And by the end, I think you kind of wish you're a bit more like them. Especially because they're not, ta- yeah, they're not, you know, there are there's a, an idea of some delusion and people that are delusional that are 
taking things that aren't theirs and, and yeah. you know, taking the spots of people that they shouldn't be, but yeah. they're not at all. They're just... They just don't bear the gift of comparison. No. Gift or curse of comparison. <laughs> so, like, you know, when most of us are really crippled by that, by needing to compare ourselves to other people and their experiences, particularly in the age of social media, um, these two don't have that, other than kind of when they're, they have their episode where they're feeling really rough about themselves. They're really supportive of everybody else. They just want to join in. They're not, you know, and they just don't realise how much more work it takes than what they're doing, you know. But and they but they just have such undying belief, you know, undying, is that a word? Hmm. I don't know. Um, unwavering. Unwavering belief in each other and themselves. And we thought that that was a nice thing to be promoting, particularly when it's not at the expense of anybody else. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I guess you're still, and, and in a funny kind of way, you dop your hat to Kath and Kim, really, don't you? Look, I think that there's, I mean, Kath and Kim, I grew up on that kind of humour, so I think that there's a bit of a, a, a nod to that, particularly Sharon Streslicky, I think, is um, mm. honoured um, somewhat in this in this series as well as, you know, such an iconic Australian character who is always giving things a go and trying and pushing and, and just loves what she does. And I, I think that that's a bit of, there's a bit of Brooke and Amy in that for sure. And the, and the other thing uh, is uh, you were saying that you have to have a, uh, a promotional plan, a way mm -hmm. of getting it out to your target audiences and all that. Can you give uh, our listeners a little bit of an idea of how you dealt with that and what you're yeah. going to do? Yeah, so, it, yeah, it was quite an extensive plan, even just, just to get the funding um, at the beginning. Uh, and we worked with um, our uh, marketing manager, Claire O'Connor, um, and she helped helped us put together um, a document that sort of, and researched looking at where, um, particularly because it's on social media and there's without uh, other platforms, looked at where our audience specifically would sit, which just through conversation we looked at that and then research into where those people, what social media they use and how they use it, uh, which even because that was what, a year and a half ago, uh, that then is different to now and so we're having to adapt um, that TikTok really wasn't a thing back then, uh, but that back then, even a half ago. But now <laughs> we're really um, needing to engage with that as well. So having to be quite adaptable and uh, and change with that. Um, yeah, we had to be conscious that we don't have um, large platforms online. We don't have tens of thousands of Instagram followers personally. And so we had to, yeah, we had to consider that with the other people that we were involving in the series. And, and be creative, I yeah. think, as well with how we could put it out, the thinking about even just the, even now we're talking about how much we release each day and, yes. and, and again, being adaptable around that, seeing how things, how people respond um, with our, like, Instagram. We're looking at it and saying, okay, what is working? All right, well, we'll do more of that and less of that. Definitely. This is a very creative time for you. Now that you've done the actual product, you now have to work out how you're going to get it out there, which is really quite thought, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's wild. And it's a constantly moving beast, <laughs> this online space. So how can people get to see it? Because there's six episodes and one of the things about web series, which is so great, is that you can be slightly flexible about the lengths. I noticed that they're not all the same length. They're yeah. a little bit different, that sort of thing. Exactly. They range between seven and nine and a yep. half minutes, I think. And um, they'll all be released on Facebook and Instagram from July 14. 
As I've been told, Facebook for oldies and uh, Instagram for youngies. Essentially, at the Power of the Dream series. That's where you can find us. Thanks for talking to me. Thank Thank you you so so much, Annie. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Judith Ehrlich. I'm the director of the film The Boys Who Said No, Draft Resistance in the Vietnam War. I'm really pleased to be here on 3CR. I'm an old listener-sponsored radio producer myself and worked at the first listener-sponsored station in the world, KTFA, Berkeley, part of the Pacifica Network. So good work. Keep it up. Thanks. You're back with Annie on Showreel. Now we go to a chat I had with Damon Smith, a versatile musician, now filmmaker, who has worked with Adam Goad and Regional Australia Victoria and Creative Victoria to bring the stage show Mental as Everything to the screen. It is all about removing myths around mental health as told by people who have lived experience. It is scheduled for the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival but with the COVID lockdown you will have to check the Nova Carlton website for updates about cinema times. The the cabaret show uh, or theatre show is still going and we're in the middle of a Victorian tour this year and um Look, it's uh, the the idea for the for the actual show. Um, you know, started just having the conversation with people just in general life about my experiences, and then it would turn into their experiences and the way we went. So it made sense to knowing my character and as a professional musician to take it to a stage. Now the film was the next uh, the next thing, just another conduit to try and get this message out there or these messages with, I think, um, good humour and and music and, and whatnot. So that's pretty much how, how it came about. And, you know, physically and um, financially, fiscally came, out, came about because there was uh, some money came through Creative Victoria, uh, through Regional Arts Victoria, who were actually working with us this year on the tour, and they suggested we do a... Um, a filmed version of the show, but I just took it to the next level and made an actual film out of it as opposed to the actual show on stage. So that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it's about uh, normalising or uh, demystifying mental health issues. Yeah, I should say so. I mean, we just want to try and get, you know, across to an audience that, you know, everyone gets to talk about their broken arm as we say in the film and we say on this live show and, and, you know, you get to talk and, and have a bit of a joke and, and the person asks you about your broken arm, you know, you're being empathetic and then you've got the person who is telling their story, how they broke their arm because they fell off a, a chimpanzee or something. And then with mental health, of course, we don't have that relief. We feel like it's that hard to get in there and talk about it. So I guess we just want to try and say to people, hey, you know, talk to each other about your mental health. It is just as important, if not more in, more important, than talking about your physical stuff, you know? Yeah, did, did you actually shoot the film? Or did you get... I did pressure? actually. Yeah. No, I did everything on it. I mean, um, I, I did get someone to shoot the bits where I'm playing piano and singing, obviously. Um, and But everything else, yeah, I edited it, and um, it's my first, my first time at all those jobs. Um, I've made little films my whole life since I was a kid, but never at this level. And um, as as much as I feel like I will look back at this, if I do continue making films, I think this will always be something that was very obviously to me a first film. But I do think also on the same hand, I'm very proud of it. I think the things that we've done in there that are are very cool and unique, um, particularly with the the skill set I have when it comes to filmmaking. 
you've used quite a few different uh, aspects. Um, you've used animation. Yeah. And obviously you've had to think very carefully about how to explain what it is you need to get across because these are really complicated things and very impersonal things. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm glad you picked up on that. The, uh, the animation, that was stories that I tell um, – much like just before I said, you know, you fall off your chimpanzee or something. So I, 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 the same as the animation, just these ideas like when I'm walking into the, the pub there and the analogy is, you know, you have all these horrible thoughts that are in your head and I like to liken and that, make the analogy that it's a bar. And um, the fact that we could have a very good friend of mine, Declan, actually come on board and animate that um, was just incredible. And the fact that as much as he's a, a celebrated and great artist, he, it's his first animation ever. He doesn't even do it at home. He just said, I will have a go at that. And I said, great. And away he went and we, um, and we did the animation. So it's, it's, there's a lot of debuts in this, in this film as well. It's a very attractive film and you, you guys are very um, accomplished musicians as well as, you know, like you have an artistic perspective. Mm, absolutely. I feel like going into a film festival you know, there's certain hallmarks that, you know, must be in a film if it's going to be judged or graded. And the same goes for anything. If you're going to bake cakes and put them into, you know, the country cooking competitions, they need to be graded on certain things. And I'm not schooled in anything. So I, you know, I didn't train to be a musician, but it's my full-time job. And I play with some of the best musicians going around and I'm so so grateful to be able to be in that world. Um, but I think as far as, you still learn things, don't you? But I haven't learned filmmaking or, you know, I had to learn how to do green screen. I had to learn how to, to really edit and stuff like that. But, you know, you go ahead and you do it and you come up with something that you hope people will, will be able to enjoy without saying, well, it's not meant to be done like that or it should be done like this, you know? Well, given that um, your film, uh, Mental as Everything, is actually a personal journey as much as anything else, is pretty courageous, but it also strikes me that having um, sort of mental health challenges that are have got labels, right, uh, means that you actually are courageous on a whole lot of levels, like artistically courageous. Not Not everybody would do this. No, I know that, but I, I feel like I can't say that too much in a press release or anything, but I think it's why it's receiving quite a bit of attention, which I'm surprised it is because we've never really received the attention for this show on the theatre level. I feel like um, sometimes the stigma very much exists. The very thing we're trying to pull away and, and stamp on does exist because publicists have found it really hard to push our show. But on the film side of things, I think it's really got across, and but again, I can't I can't stand up and say this is brave of me and courageous. And um, as much as we think these things of ourselves, sometimes uh, I'm always on the other end of that. I always think that I really suck at things, <laughs> and and I'm not really capable. But I, I watched this uh, back, and I, I am really really proud. And I think that I'm sort of I get tired of of seeing so much stuff out there in the mental health world as far as stuff we broadcast. I think it's all necessary and I love that people do it, but I do get I tire of seeing and hearing people talk about it from uh, someone else's perspective. And I think that we need more people, whether they're footballers, you know, musicians, what have you, 
to stand up and say, I feel like crap and this is why and away they go. And I think it's very important. Yeah, well, uh, well, uh, actually, what I was getting at there, I mean, it is brave for you to stand up and say because it's always been an adage that if you admit weakness, then you become, um, you know, someone else's plaything, you know what I mean? Like socially speaking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really dangerous stuff um, and very hard to uh, overturn. But um, I, I was really getting at something else. I was really getting at the fact that you uh, – it's like fear of flying. Like you got on top of the uh, very highest diving board and you did it. You know, like you made a film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I was wondering. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, and and I kind of wonder if actually it's a double-edged sword. This business of mental health, because it actually gives you a perspective on capability and um, risk. Yes. Yeah. Again, some really beautifully thought-out things there, and and thanks for saying so. I mean. I think there's risk with everything we do. And one thing I know for sure is that I have a couple of shows. Um, well, I know that for sure, but I have a couple of shows that I do and a couple of different things I do. And one thing I know for sure I was going to say is that the, the, the stuff that I write that's about, let's say, for an example, I have a show about Sun Records, that I get out there and do. There's a level of um, anticipation and, and nervousness and stuff when I get on stage, but really... I I get up there and play and I have a great time with the guys doing it and that's the same with other uh, projects I'm in. But when I do something like this, the feeling I get is, is hugely rewarding um, and completely different. And I think I've found out that this is what I want to do, you know, with any films or projects going forward, I want to put as much of, you know, authentic, authentic stuff into this work because um, it really buzz, gives me a buzz, I guess. And I guess also by making a film, also getting it into the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival means that you get a wider audience. Films take it further. Well, yeah. I mean, I I finished it at the beginning of this – well, no, I finished it in at the end of March, really, or, or April, I think. And then I submitted for the, for the festival and it was the most brief of time where I got the selection, you know, and they selected it. And we were successful in that way. And I couldn't believe it um, because <laughs> last year I wrote three records, you know, in lockdown in my studio here. So all this music I wrote and everything else. And I was really pushing it uphill trying to get anyone to, to listen to it or to even, you know, anything to look at it. So I found it amazing that this was suddenly selected. And now we have all these people calling, you know, saying they want to do an interview. I just think it's incredible. It's, it's uh it's really amazing. I don't know if, it's, if the film industry is meant to be that simple. But I don't think it is. I don't think it's, uh, we're very lucky. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's also the type of film it is and also um, that people, you know, like it's it's long enough and short enough and you guys are incredibly talented. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I mean, there was so much we wanted to put into that. And, and I think as a writer and putting it all together, I had that idea of how it flows. But really what Adam and I do that you don't see there is we have an incredible um, way of playing with each other. And in fact, we're in the studio tomorrow for four, three days. And we just play a lot of that old time piano 
and drum music, and that's where we really shine. But inter- interestingly enough, we don't really do a lot of that style in this film. So I think that's a good thing. It, it allows us to, to revisit it again in, um, in another film. That's it for Showreel this morning. Look, look after yourself. Maybe the lockdown will be over by next week, but whatever, keep safe.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.